Hello and welcome to the Verblio Show. This is the podcast for digital agencies and digital marketers brought to you by Verblio, the friendliest content creation platform in the business. I'm your host, Steve Pakras, and I'm Verblio's CEO. In today's episode, I'm talking with Jim Franklin. Jim is a tech investor, mentor, and former CEO of multiple venture-backed companies, including one of Colorado's top MarTech successes, SendGrid. It is hard to describe the influence Jim has had on the Colorado tech scene. He was deeply influential in getting Verblio off the ground and one of my go-to resources for figuring out this whole CEO gig. We recorded this conversation earlier in the crisis on April 9th, 2020, as I was seeking guidance for managing and marketing through the crisis. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, Jim, it's great to see you again. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Sure, uh, Jim Franklin, uh, been a CEO of venture-backed companies for most of my career. Uh, having scaled and grown uh, a few of those, I'm now an investor, uh, board member, limited partner in some of the venture funds uh, around Colorado. I uh, have the I guess, dubious distinction of having raised money uh, one month before the huge stock market crash in 2000, and also literally raising money on September 10th of 2001, so the day before 9-11. Uh, that was an ex- interesting experience. Uh, and then uh, I was the CEO of a company uh, through the 07-08 crash, but we were acquired by Oracle, so I sort of sidestepped uh, that particular uh, unpleasantness kind of best practices that you've learned in guiding companies through uh, the last crisis that you think would be applicable in today's world? Certainly. I think the, 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 you know, the 101 on the crisis management is really to you know, put your CFO hat on and know your financial position, uh, where you are, and you know, what those cash flows look like going forward. And then having uh, a plan that's scenario-based, given all the uncertainty uh, with triggers, uh, uh, baked into it. Because my uh, view when I'm seeing another uh, investor and board calls is really looking for you know, 18 to 24 months of your know, runway or viability you know, with the money that you have now, whether it comes from investors or from customers, how do you design your cost structure to get to, get to that sort of uh, 18 to 24 months? Um, having been the CEO of Decisioneering, a, a, a forecasting uh, software company, uh, we oftentimes saw people just didn't uh, uh, have broad enough ranges in their thinking. Uh, a local venture capitalist uh, published a well-regarded article about you know planning for zero growth and minus 25%. And I thought, well, where's the rest of his post? You, you got to plan for the minus 50 and the minus 75, or mm-hmm. in some cases, you know, the minus 100. So it's interesting when we started having these conversations and I was asking people for a range of what they thought would happen to marketing budgets in particular, that's mostly what we're asking about. Uh, most people are starting at 10 to 30 uh, percent. Now we're getting towards 15 to 35, and I'm I'm worried that every couple of weeks out it's going to move up by five percent each. Do you have a take on on such things or overall revenue for yeah. companies? Yes, and for the investor board member viewpoint, uh, looking at companies, I would say the standard playbook of a response to this has been cut payroll costs by 30 percent. Uh, so taking headcount down 30%, reducing executive pay by 30%, and basically eliminating the market budget. So it's 90% gone. Uh, so that's sort of the, the externality of what you have to deal with as a marketer and think about how do I compete you know, for those last, you know, those last dollars. And of course, it can be short-sighted uh, to do that on a company's uh, point of view. But I think uh, that's just the reality that you have to face. In the Jim Collins language, the confronting brutal facts, that if marketing budgets are getting cut 90% uh, in the venture-backed tech world, uh, you really have to sell against a compelling need. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually kind of a fan of uh, hard times and 
recessions because it really makes you uh, sharpen and focus uh, what you're doing. And it's really around this concept of compelling need. I've learned this when I was at Oracle, is that if you're not selling against a compelling need, like enterprise sales, you're not going to be successful. And so in, in better times, uh, you can get away with the, the, the nice to haves. Uh, but when things get you know, 10x harder, which they just have in the marketing world, it's like you've got to be really, really on your game. And so if you don't, if you haven't been selling against a compelling need, uh, then you will find your revenue evaporating and you won't be able to get investors and you'll need to do something else, right? It's just a forcing function, uh, which I think is ultimately healthy. I've been uh, part of a company where we raised you know, $5 million and we pivoted the business four times over the course of a year, every quarter, you know, shifting it and it ultimately didn't work. Uh, and, and that's okay. I think from a strategic standpoint, uh, if you can go where the growth is, and it's just a, 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 it's a wonderful strategy. Trying to create growth is super hard. Right. But even in these turbulent markets, there are some things that are zooming, right? And going up. And uh, whatever your value proposition is, is like drafting off other people's growth. It's something I've done throughout my career. Uh, it's, it's very hard to create growth. But if you see where growth is happening, um, my last role as the CEO of SendGrid, we didn't invent the cloud, you know, thank you to Amazon and AWS that really created that, that cloud computing for startups. Uh, they just had a small problem that we were able to fill that problem. And then our growth was really just a derivative of that market growth. And then uh, I think in the marketing world in particular, uh, whereas a general manager, I've been sometimes frustrated with, with agencies is they're always like, well, pay us a lot of money and then we'll do some stuff and then you know, you'll be great. And I'm like, well, I like all that part, except to pay you all the money part up the front. It's like, why don't you share in our success and uh, put your fees on the back end as contingency? And if you had the balance sheet for that, uh, that would be terrific. Uh, or how can you do that? You can defer payments. Some law firms do that and you defer payments, but you get warrants in the business. You actually get equity in your customers uh, for that deferral of payment and just being uh, clever around, you know, maybe how can you uh, be flexible with people and you rethink your own pricing. I think just an, uh, another part on the operating side of business is that all costs are variable. They might not seem variable, but they are. Whether it's your, your landlord, right? They don't want to go find some other tenant in this market, right? And so renegotiating that. Uh, base pay for employees. Uh, I think if you're making under 75000 that, you know, is that that's pretty fixed but for people making six figures or more especially executives or managers uh, you can introduce the concept to them of, of base supplement uh, in certain ecosystems the uh, vice presidents of some companies are making two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars that's a lot of money you know in February maybe that was reasonable you know in April no 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 not at all and so if you're taking that pay down to like 150 and say, okay, that's the base pay. We're to flex that. And then how does that come back? He said, well, as business conditions change, we'll have something called base supplement. Uh, and I did this in the nineties. I ran a software company that was profitable and we had to kind of move pay up and down with how sales were going, but we had sort of a base that would, would cover, you know, insurance and that sort of thing. But then these supplement layers may or may not get paid depending on, on conditions. So you can flex a lot of your spending that you might not have otherwise uh, thought about. Great. Uh, that was a, a chuck, chuck full of ideas, <laughs> covering a lot of ground. Uh, One more on that sort of theme is around competing on convenience. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another thing I've done at pretty much every company is people tend to think about competing on price or competing on stuff. You know, does your agency have the same stuff or better stuff than other people? Or you know, is our price you know, higher or lower than the, than the other person's? Uh, and I think that the, the magic dimension to compete on is convenience. Be easy to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Clayton Christensen model of the uh, price, reliability, convenience, uh, and stuff. Not exactly his words, but the concepts are the same. But convenience is like the, the overlooked stepchild of that little quadrant. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's the one I like the best. And so whether it uh, uh, was at SendGrid and making it just you know, easy for developers, we weren't the cheapest. Amazon was much cheaper uh, than our product. And I think about how can you just be easy to deal with? And as a small company, you can be flexible around you know, contracts and terms where at Oracle, they're very rigid and want everything to be done a certain way. Uh, and so you know, think about in your own business, how do you make it just you know, easier uh, to deal with? And now for a quirky interlude by our sponsor. Hey, hey, this is Shar Baker, your client success manager here at Verblio, where my aim is to ensure you have an amazing streamlined experience with our platform, getting the high quality writing you need to fuel your content strategy. In fact, I started my Verblio journey as a writer, so do know that you're in great hands. And now... Here are five intriguing titles created by our own writer community that'll make you go, hmm. First up, Liz Frank Injury, a midfoot menace. Five tips for marketing a virtual conference event. Here's an interesting one. How online Portuguese classes can help in your child's future career. Happy National HVAC Tech Day. And... Kendall Jenner upgraded with a richer NBA boyfriend. Ha. Intriguing indeed. And now, back to you, Steve. What I I picked up is you can look at every single aspect of your business for an opportunity to improve. You can look at your your headcount cost structure. You can look at your pricing structure within your contracts. You can look at for the way that you, uh, what type of offering that you're putting out there. Uh, It's all available and it should all be under review right now because... This is the time to tighten up, tighten up everything and make sure that you're as good both on the, the back and the front as you can be. Yeah, I think uh, pricing metric is something that's often overlooked. It's like, what is that thing to which you attach your, attach your price? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you think about a lot of startups, they always think about you know, price, it's what, what's my price level? It's like, what is that thing that you're charging for? And maybe that is what, uh, is what you should change. Uh, if people aren't clear on what I mean by pricing metric, um, I like to think of a simple example as like maybe if you had a leaf raking business, mm-hmm. you, do you charge by the hour? Do you charge by the bag? Do you charge by, you know, the weight of leaves that left? But it depends on what kind of yard it is, right? If you're uncertain, maybe charge by the hour. If they're fluffy light leaves, you charge by the bag. If they're wet, heavy leaves, you charge by the weight. And just think about, you know, what are those different things you can charge, uh, char- charge for in, in your different market segments? Uh, and market segments is a big piece, right? Going with the growth is if you have a, a horizontal offering, uh, I was the CEO of this, this math software company, and we sold math software to a lots of different industries. And it kind of made us recession proof because if, if automotive was having a hard time, you know, maybe aviation was good or energy was good or agriculture or something else. And so it could, we could always kind of you know, move around. Uh, a friend of mine started a, a business and you just, it was a supply chain company, sort of could have been horizontal, but you picked just 
one supply chain to focus on. And that business went in a massive reception and it wiped out a recession and it wiped out his business. It's like, oh. And so it's really the concept of distinguishing a, a robust business from an optimal business. So right. if something's optimized, you know, it gives you that very high point of efficiency, like supply chains, but it's maybe not very robust. If things change, you go downhill very quickly. And so having strategies that can be robust are suboptimal, but it, they're, they're hedging because you're like, oh, we can do uh, lots of different things. Uh, likewise, uh, your teams, uh, if you hire people who are optimal for the job, that also means they're brittle. Because what if their job changes? What are you like, oh, we're no longer selling to, you know, client segment A, but we need to sell the client segments, you know, R, S, and T. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're not even sure how to do that. Uh, and so I think that having uh, employees that have many different stripes, maybe they're, that might be good at selling to client A and good at selling to client, you know, R, S, and T, but they're not great at it. You could hire like a client A, you know, rock star, but they're zero when it comes to selling to other segments. And so then again, that's a trade-off as a business owner. If you hire someone who's more of a generalist, you get that robust hedge, but you're trading off sort of that short to medium run optimum uh, behavior. Right, well, uh, I just have to ask, I was just, uh, as you were talking and you were going through kind of your cost structure, I was thinking of Ben Horowitz's discussion of wartime CEO versus peacetime CEO uh, and managing through both and you've managed through both. And if you have any kind of best practices for for managing your team and keeping them, you know, keeping them psyched up and, and at peak performance while talking about all of these cuts and lower performance across the board. Actually, uh, you, can, you know, Tyler, as we talk about it, I'm like, I'm smiling, I'm, I'm energetic, you know, I'm happy. And it's not that, you know, it's difficult making these choices, but I think being clear, cutting a little more than you think you should in the, on the, on the first pass. Uh, as a former CFO, I always had what I call a 10, a 30, and a 60 plan about just how you would tap things down under different scenarios. And having gone through that many times, it's like the day after you do that, if you've done it right by being a well-informed executive and knowing sort of, you know, uh, the 10% plan is basically just cleaning up messes. Mm -hmm. uh, I would suggest any organization from 10 people to 250 people that I've managed, you know, 10% is just your managers or yourself as the CEO, just being a little slow on not moving some people along that, you know, need to be moved along. That's, that's pretty easy. The 30% is much harder and 6%, you know, is much, you know, much more impactful in the business. That's almost down to that skeleton crew. But if you cut like the right 30 and the remaining 70, they'll get it. They'll see like, oh yeah, that person wasn't pulling their weight or, yeah, that, that group's no longer here because we're not doing that initiative anymore, right? And that uh, you want to be compassionate around uh, just, you know, the timing and messaging around how you do things, never fighting unemployment, you know, taking actions on Monday mornings, not Friday afternoons. There's just some tactical things around that that help smooth things. Uh, being a good reference, you know, helping people, uh, <laughs> you know, land on their feet uh, is uh, is helpful. But when you, you get that day one, that, that the day after, that I've never found like I need to encourage people or it's all about the mission and serving those customers. And now you have to do more with less. And uh, I've not been in the military, but I would think it's a, it's that similar sense of, uh, of mission and feeling of like, Oh man, like this is real, right? It's like, and you have, you know, clarity and urgency and focus uh, like you, you didn't have four weeks ago or five weeks ago. It was just like, it's, you know, it's us. It's sort of that David versus Goliath, like, Oh man. And so I've not really felt like I needed to, you know, rally the troops around like, Oh, like 
let's you know get motivated or something is it's like you're like holy heck right my friend lost their job or you know you just you see what's happening and you're uh i think employees become appreciative and humble and eager uh you know to you know to work hard and, and do more and make make the business work whether it's for their fellow employees or for the customers or your partners or you know, finding you really find that meaning in in work and that's why i think people will stay uh and they will do you know more for less and and, and bring out that creativity uh that you didn't know you had in you to figure out how the heck are we going to make this work right it's like this is not obvious and it's really uh yeah i think it's kind of like what you train for uh, whether you went to business school you've had a career with lots of different experiences all of that has come together and put you in this situation where it's like okay game on figure it out that's exciting and i think that that excitement is uh what gets me excited, you know, enthusiastic about these sorts of situations. It's like, wow, okay, this is for real now. This, there's no safety net. It's like, we got to go sell stuff. We, we got to find a compelling need. And if we don't have it, then we won't be doing this much longer. And, and, and that's okay too. I'm not saying that's not the end of the world, right? Is that, and again, I've been through that three times. That's where a lot of growth has come from. When, you know, the universe said to me in very clear language, <laughs> you're going to stop doing this. <laughs> you're going to do something else. <laughs> and, uh, that's always worked out, even if it's uncomfortable. Uh, I think having an orientation that changes good, uh, even if it's uncomfortable. And I don't want to downplay the immense amount of pain that many people are feeling uh, right now. I think that... Um, you know, if you can keep that, that attitude to, to go where that growth is and, and plow forward. Yep. Evan, uh, I like to just be enthusiastic about the challenge because it is an exciting challenge, even though it was spurred by a, an existential threat. It's like learning to become a better runner with something chasing you as opposed to you just setting your own pace. And then I could ask you questions forever, but I will, uh, I will try to, uh, to, to wrap this up and give our editors a break and say, uh, is there anything interesting that you found that, uh, that you and your family are doing to keep yourselves entertained during this time of isolation that you can share? Well, uh, a couple of things. Uh, daily yoga has been something that we sort of fell into. Free classes from Peloton are awesome. Uh, I think they extend to a 90-day free trial, which is great. Uh, and then bird watching. Uh, it turns out we live in a really amazing bird watching place. Uh, hmm. And friends mentioned that to us who came from out of state once, like, you live like right in this amazing migrant. And it's like, oh, so we thought, well, maybe we should learn about the birds that are around our house. And so we have some, you know, little binoculars we got and uh, a little bird book and we just kind of go out and walk for about an hour in the afternoons. And uh, it's a great way to, uh, you know, see the neighborhood and some of the parks differently to pay attention to what you can hear and, and what you can see. And your closing thought on marketing is just, you know, marketing has got to happen. And these budgets are cut, you know, pipelines have to be built. And I think as a market or an agency, you know, that demand is still there. And there are dollars available that aren't being spent on travel and conferences. And so go compete for those dollars. And I would challenge you to figure out how to create relationships without travel and conferences. Because that is a huge need I see through a lot of companies where they've got to figure out how to go create pipeline and go create business. Uh, when they can't go out and, you know, hit the trade shows and, uh, and do that face-to-face -face meeting to support their sales and, and partnership processes. Anything else that you want to say now that you're on a roll? I think we've got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to turn you off the camera then. That's it for this episode of The Verblio Show. Thanks for tuning in. This is Steve Pockross in Denver, Colorado, signing off. <laughs>